everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for July. I know. 2019 is like going like so, so fast. So fast. It's almost like it's on fire. It's almost like it's burning away. And you know, but where did it start? Where did we start to ignite it? And you know, was it through like, you know, a bit of stone or was it just through maybe just a quick snap maybe it was a ginger snap maybe it was ginger snap gaming maybe it was darren terpstra maybe it was his fault let's ask him shall we hello darren hey how you doing doing good that's good that's good 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 um yeah that was probably um a crazy amount of intro there but it doesn't matter because um (laughs) not that long ago you brought us Ignite to Kickstarter and um, it should have actually, you know, probably changed the name to Engulfed afterwards because you kind of, you walked away with a huge amount of funding money, didn't you? Yeah, no, we were super blessed. Uh, Couldn't be more thankful for all of our great backers out there. That's cool. Um, I mean, I guess I should do the admin for people who haven't kind of listened to us before. First of all, thank you for listening. The reason that we do this is because I think we've almost done 300 episodes, so it'd be rude to kind of stop. And we're just going to kind of keep going. And the second reason is because um, Ignite was one of these games that I kind of kept on looking at and going, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And it's one of these games on Kickstarter that came at the wrong time. And so I didn't have any money when it was on there. And um, it's one of those things I fully regret um, not getting involved in. So there you go. So here I am. I'm going to try and make build Darren up as much as possible. So at the end of it, when we're finished here, he just turns around and says, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you, I'll get you a copy of Ignite. And this is what we're building up to. But hopefully... He won't notice me saying that last bit, so we'll see how it we'll see how we get on. Um, one of the things we like to do is we like to find out a little bit about how people kind of got involved in the kind of the hobby to kind of begin with, how they were, you know, how they ended up being surrounded by the pressed and printed trees. So, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of like your your history? I mean, did you did you kind of grow up? kind of playing board games or was it something that kind of came into your life a little bit kind of later? Yeah, so it wasn't so much my immediate family, but we have uh, our grandparents and extended family out in Iowa. So we would always go out to visit them. Mm -hmm. And I remember going out to Iowa and we were always the youngest cousins and our older cousins would always bring like a cool new game. And so they brought us Settlers of Catan, um, I think back possibly before it was even in English printing. Oh, really? uh, I could I could be wrong in that, but they only had a German copy. So when you got a development card, you would have to snatch the instruction manual from whoever yeah. had it. Uh, and they had a little, you know, cheat sheet thing of, you know, if it's got this picture and it says this, it actually means this, you know, because I don't speak German. Um, and so, you know, we fell in love with Settlers of Catan, you know, way before it was cool, not to act too hipster. Um, and then <laughs> they brought... Uh, okay, you avocado Carcazon. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they brought Carcassonne. Uh, you know, yeah. I think that was probably the second game that they introduced us to, um, which was just super fun. Um, you know, and they just kept on bringing more and more unique games and mm-hmm. uh, exposed us to 
you know, all of the different stuff that's out there, well, pieces of it. And so went off to college, didn't really think about it, you know, played some Sellers, Catan, Cities, and Nights on Sundays, you know, mm-hmm. nothing too crazy, Dominion yeah. here and there. Um, but, you know, it's university, so you've got plenty of things that you need to be doing and plenty of people to be hanging out with. Uh, and then came back after after college, you know, just started hanging out with more and more people who had more and more different types of games and really fell in love with Dominion. Uh, that was my first big uh, board game love after after college. Uh, just really liked the mechanism, really liked mm. the fact that if you make good decisions at the beginning, it's going to really pay off for you. And if you make really dumb decisions at the beginning, it's going to be, you're going to be regretting it all the way through. Uh, it's just very strategic in how it's set up like that. Okay. So really fell in love with deck builders. And that's where uh, the thought for Dominion came from, or of Ignite came from. What was it you studied at college? Uh, business administration. Oh, right. Okay. So were you doing anything creative at all while you were at college as well i know you said you kind of did the occasional kind of like played the played games at college but were you on the side were you kind of doing anything on the creative side of things no i never really did anything on the creative side of board gaming while i was in college uh Mm. little i don't know if i've ever talked about this but when i was younger i Mm. actually came up with something that's sort of similar to the x-wing star wars game uh or the uh, big ship version of the X-Wing Star Wars game. Uh, like I never actually either. got a full prototype going with my brother, but I uh-huh. mocked out everything, you know, with ion cannons and tractor beams and all these sort of things and, uh-huh. uh, you know, did the whole system, but never ended up actually, you know, doing anything with it. Did, I mean, even when you were playing games, were you kind of looking at making adjustments or thinking about things that you could do differently or how different mechanics would work doing kind of different things? No, I think I was always more just a, I want something a little bit more as opposed to tweaking here Mm. and there. I think now I am much more prone to wanting to tweak things, uh, you know, now Mm. that I'm sort of in that world. But uh, back then, not not nearly as much. No, it was always just trying to find the quickest path to victory and what was the most strategic thing to be doing at that time. Okay. So you... You see, you came out of college, and did you go straight? You know, you said you 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 met up, but you're kind of like your friends again. So you were you regularly kind of gaming from there then, and was and was that when you kind of your you started to kind of play more and 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 experience kind of other games over kind of just Carcassonne and and Catan. No, not initially. Uh, you know, still played games and things like that, but not anything super regular. And then mm-hmm. at one point, I uh, I did sort of a social experiment where I lived on $7 a day for a year. And prior wow. to doing that, I actually bought a, you know, good, good lot of games um, to sort of occupy the time while I was doing mm-hmm. that. Um, and so all of those came in and that really was uh, now the backbone of my board game. Uh, collection. And I think it was during that year that I actually started working on uh, Ignite for the first time. What what made you do the social experiment? I'm I'm intrigued. (laughs) Um, It's definitely not, you know, what this podcast is about, but I'm very passionate about uh, poverty alleviation and anti-human trafficking. Like that's why I went Mm -hmm. into business in the first place is to make some money to be able to help uh, in those areas. Um, and so I actually did it and then I donated all of the money from that year to a different organization each month to highlight what that organization uh, can do with just a normal person's, you know, monthly salary sort of thing. So it was more just to shine a light on what good other people and other organizations are doing, um, but sort of kicked me into board gaming as well. So there you go. So was it an idea that the I'm I mean I'm quite happy to talk about this. It's my podcast. <laughs> so was it was the seven dollars, was that kind of like an average wage on what some of the poorer people in society were having to live off of? Is that why you kind of picked that kind of arbitrary amount? Um, no. So first of all, it didn't include the seven dollars didn't include rent insurance and uh rent, insurance, and utilities, things that I split with my right. roommates. So I didn't want to be a burden on the government or to my roommates. 
Um, right. But the $7 was sort of picked arbitrarily because I thought $6 would be too hard and $8 would be too easy. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, I only had $7 each day for gas, for food, for entertainment, for all of that. So, yeah. And anything that you earned over and above that, you ended up kind of, as you said, kind of like donating to the kind of like the local kind of charities. Yeah, 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 exactly. That was that was the plan. I actually figured out that I was doing it wrong about halfway through and I was donating my whole monthly salary rather than holding back $7. So essentially I was just living off of savings. Um, wow. But I didn't really, it was not that big of a deal if you think about it because it's like, 210 bucks a month or something like that so yeah exactly but obviously you've still got to take into account the wonderful things like health insurance and stuff like that that you couldn't possibly yeah you couldn't possibly say right i'm not going to bother kind of playing for <laughs> kind of health insurance um yeah we have obviously we have a different system over here we believe that um people should be allowed to be sick <laughs> and not getting not getting to massive amounts of debt over it um yeah let's not go down this line yeah like, i would agree with that <laughs> they kind of move it you know kind of move it away but um so have you always kind of been in that level kind of like socially kind of active in terms of you sound like you're the type of person that actually goes out and does stuff that if for instance if you know if something was bugging you, you'd actually go out and do something about it as opposed to writing, you know, a strongly worded letter or a strongly, you know, a strongly worded tweet and try and get like a couple of hundred thousand retweets. You'd be the person that'd be going out and saying, everybody's complaining about the leaves outside the the apartment. So you would actually pick up a shovel and go out and clear the law, <laughs> clear it out of the way and let everybody kind of sit there and bump their gums about it instead. Is that the type of person that you are then? Yeah, I. That's a very fair assessment of you, me for sure. Okay, okay. Are you quite driven then? I mean, if you, if you know, I mean, if somebody says to you, right, okay, these are the steps that you need to take in order to be a success. I mean, did you sit down when you were thinking about ignite, and did you say, right, okay, if did you look at it from the point of view as I want to make the best game? that I can or were you trying to kind of like fix an issue that you saw with certain games? Um, I'm very driven as a person. I think sometimes I just sort of go with my gut on a lot of things. So like when I was right. younger, I had a really manual labor summer job and right. each day I would just think about a story. Like I actually wrote a book over the course of two or three summers and essentially it was just me writing one page every day for each mm -hmm. summer. Um, actually, I think it was for a couple of years. I don't remember. Anyway, um, and it's just like, it's not that I sat down and was like, this is what I need to do to do to create a great book. It was like, huh, mm. this seems like a fun story. Let's, you know, continue down this path for as long as I can and see where yeah. it ends up. And that's sort of what happened with Ignite. I built it because I was like, I really want a deck builder that has more player interaction and a more exciting end game than what is right. available right now. And I grew up, you know, with risk, you know, getting in people's faces, negotiating, um, you know, just having a good old time with that. I love, you know, Blood Rage, uh, you know, Rising Sun, some of those more interactive Eric Lang games. Um, yeah. I like getting into it and deck builders in and of themselves don't usually lend themselves to that. So I was like, I really want to create something that's different than every other deck builder out there. And I actually started this before, you know, even Clank was out there. So uh, the only, there's probably one or two other deck builders that had a map other than trains, but that was really mm -hmm. the only one, um, I think around that time that had a map when I started creating Ignite. Do, was there a kind of, as I say, was there something you were trying? Was there an issue that you saw in the kind of the combative type games? I mean, you mentioned specifically in the in the Ignite campaign, you know, you actually mentioned kind of like Magic the Gathering and Pokemon. So you're saying, well, look, the, this game is not like that. So were you trying to get around kind of certain things with Magic the Gathering. I mean, my issue with Magic the Gathering is that it is it's a it, it can be a it can be a pay to win system. 
So yeah. unless you start off with a whack of cash at the beginning, you know, you can't go in competitively very easily to Magic the Gathering um, unless you're willing to shell out a little bit of money. Uh, I mean, Pokemon less so, but, um, you know, definitely for kind of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, we added that verbiage to the Kickstarter uh page just because a lot of people don't know what a deck builder is off the top of their heads and yeah. in case someone in the audience is like that when i say deck builder i mean a box game that comes with everything you need and you build your deck as you play the game um but there's other people that when they hear deck builder they think magic the gathering or pokemon or something like that where you you know buy upgrade cards and you know booster packs and you build your deck before the game even starts um, yeah. which is a fine yeah. system, but I didn't want to build something like that. I wanted a boxed, you know, experience that is super replayable, um, but has the strategic, uh, wits and, you know, requirements of building your deck in a good way, um, during the game, if that makes sense. No, no. Yeah. No, I mean, I know what you mean. Um, and I guess the other thing is as well as, when you get kind of systems that are trademarked by companies <laughs> as well, in certain terminology that's trademarked by companies, it can make it, it's almost like you're saying, if you say to somebody, well, you're just exhausting these cards, do you mean you're tapping them? Yes, but I can't say, <laughs> I can't tell you you're tapping your cards because I'm not allowed to tell you that. And in some yeah. cases, I'm maybe not allowed to say I'm exhausting the cards because that's somebody else has taken that phrase kind of thing. So, you know, you're aware that um, sometimes the, um, the, I guess the nomenclature for different types of games is purely based around avoiding not getting your bum smacked. Yeah. <laughs> for somebody saying you're using kind of like a copyrighted kind of game. So the idea was that you, you're building, you're kind of, you're building your deck to take on your kind of, um, to take on your challengers as you're kind of like playing the game. So like kind of like Clank or, you know, other kind of deck building, kind of like the deck building side of games, yeah? Yeah, so the way that we always explained it was if Clank is like Dominion meets the Goonies, then Ignite is Dominion meets the Hunger Games. Um, you know, a battle for supremacy as opposed to just sort of exploring some caves mm -hmm. and then trying to get out alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you um, did you play? Um, I mean, have you played Clank? I actually almost got to play Clank at the last convention that I was at. I've watched tons of videos about it. I know how to play it. I could probably pick it up right now if someone put it on the table. Um, mm -hmm. But because I had created Ignite prior to Clank coming out, um, I really just didn't want to play like the big competition that had just come out. I know that's super probably dumb, but I was just like, gosh, this game came out ahead of us and like really hit it well and just is doing super awesome and has all these expansions now. And so it's yeah. just like a little bit of wistfulness of like, uh, if only I'd been able to come out with this, you know, three years earlier, work faster on it or something like that. So there is a little piece of Darren that dies every time I hear about how great Ignite is, or I mean, how great Clank is and how well received and loved. Yeah, but I, I mean, I do see this argument on a lot a lot of times where you see kind of similar games kind of coming out and it's usually tied around kind of like theme, but then the games themselves end up being even quite different, even if they kind of got like the same mechanics. I mean, I said this on a recent episode, but putting, say, like Dinosaur Island and Dinogenics kind of side by side, they've got the same kind of theme. There's worker placement there, but they're kind of, in terms of how they play out over a period of time, they end up being kind of drastically different games. And in fact, you saying to me that, you know, if you put, you know, you could put Clank in the same kind of stable as Ignite, it's going to encourage me to play ignite because i like clank yeah <laughs> and therefore i know this is going to be a game unless you take some mad missteps this is also going to be a game that i'm going to enjoy and i'm probably going to end up kind of thinking well i understand the base level kind of um mechanics for it um and i think to be brutal to be honest i still think 
in terms of kind of like mechanics and games like that, I still think people need to realize that games can take anywhere from like a year to three, four years to develop. And we've all been, you know, it happens in films, it happens in books, it happens in all types of creative media that you will see people kind of producing very, very kind of similar products, even though these people can have no knowledge of each other. Kind of whatsoever. Um, From the kind of the, the beginning seed of Ignite, was there a lot of changes that you've made from the kind of the first iteration to the one that's, you know, to the one that people are kind of going to be receiving through the, you know, in the mail from you? Yes. All sorts of changes have happened. Um, Some, I mean, the vision of Ignite has never changed. Um, I can say that, uh, which is really awesome, but the implementation of everything has definitely changed, you know, because the first time you throw it out on the table, you're just guessing on so many different things. You're like, I think this will work. I think this needs to be like this sort of cost and stuff like that. Um, And a deck builder system in and of itself is pretty forgiving just because everyone Mm -hmm. has the same opportunity for buying uh, the same cards. Uh, at least if you have a static market. But, you know, we initially had spells as way, way too powerful, and we had to pull those back. Um, And that's part of the reason that you get no honor from spells now, which lends itself to the lore um, that we sort of built around the system. Um, We also made the bazaar in the middle uh, where you could initially trash as many cards as you wanted. You could sell them all. Um, which just led to people getting to the bazaar, selling everything in two turns and then being like way more powerful than everyone else. Um, So obviously that's not a good system to go with either. So, (laughs) you know, just pieces like that definitely had to be, uh, you know, it's almost like uh, probably like, you know, building a statue or sculpting a statue, you know, uh, you have this giant, piece of marble and you know what you want it to sort of look like and at the beginning you're just taking off these huge chunks of marble you know left and right really just you know hammering into it and then as you go and you go you take out smaller and smaller tools you you know take out the little little hammer and chisel towards the end (laughs) and just the small refinements um and i think that's a good illustration of what creating a board game looks like from beginning to end you know you got huge swings of the hammer at the beginning and then towards the end you're just like huh i wonder if this should be six cost instead of seven cost or you know minor tweaks like that is it tempting when you're making something for like the first time and this is going to be your iliad or whatever to try and make it include kind of as much as possible (laughs) yes a hundred percent yes um we initially thought Ignite was going to be like a $200 game right out of the box with just like, you know, like a tombstone box um, that like you would get and it's just got everything in it. Um, and then, you know, just going to conventions and talking to people who know better, they're like, no, you need to make like this into an expansion. And it's good to have like an expansion around a theme and different mm. things like that. And so, if any designers are out there listening, like I just go into Google drive and I just keep notes of all the different ideas that I have. And I'm like, all right, this is a great idea. Let's back burner it for a later time because you know, we don't want the initial product to have a 36 page rule book that people have to be looking through. You know what I mean? But your, your creative juices are just flowing so much at the beginning. And that's why you want to capture as much as you can, because you're going to hit a point where you're like, I can't come up with any more ideas for this thing. And, you know, you'll, you'll be sort of depressed for a couple of, couple of days. And then all of a sudden you'll be hit with another great, you know, fun idea for the next expansion sort of thing. But keeping notes of all that stuff when everything is just exploding in your brain is the way to go. But then filtering those through the lens of how do we make this the best initial game possible is what I would suggest doing. Did you toy around with smaller games? I mean, is there kind of, do you have like a portfolio? I mean, within your Google Drive, is there like, is this game number one of 16? And there's maybe like a a lighter card game that you could have brought to Kickstarter instead? Because you've got, I mean, I'll be honest with you, 
Um, I mean, a game with the level of artwork that you've got, miniatures, art for your cards. I mean, a hundred thousand goal. <laughs> I mean, Darren, you know what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's yeah, it's kind of like okay. That's a very legitimate question. So Ignite was the first one that we started working on, or I started working on. Um, I actually did finish a game uh, during the time that I was working on Ignite. That's a lot smaller. Um, we'll be releasing it hopefully later, 2019. It's called Rocket Cats, um, and it's a great game. I love it. Uh, but we hadn't been promoting it at conventions. We hadn't been talking it up on Facebook groups and, you know, yeah. different things like that nearly as much as we had been with Ignite. And so it was sort of like, do I want to launch the white whale, you know, right, right from the beginning? Or do I want to sort of backtrack and do something smaller? But I feel like if I had done something smaller, it wouldn't have had the recognition of uh, all of the people that I had been talking to for so many, you know, years and building the email list for, I think a year and a half, two years prior to launching Ignite. Um, so I could have launched it, but I actually think it would have been a detriment as opposed to um, helping us. And then, like I said, we'll be launching it next year to now our audience of people who know us and, you know, know our quality as well as, you know, how much communication is a big uh backbone of our business. Uh, we're doing weekly weekly updates to our Kickstarter backers, which is essentially unheard of at this point. Uh, and people are really seeming to like it. So the fact that we have all of these people who uh, love how we run Kickstarters uh, is going to be you know, that much more of a benefit as we release the next game, even if it is a smaller one. In terms of the, um, the campaign itself, when you mentioned kind of growing up, kind of like your email lists, um, was it difficult to get people to kind of have a look at the game in terms of, you know, games media in terms of like, you know, preview sense and things like that? Yeah, or it's always a little bit more difficult to get people to take you seriously when it's your first game. Even if you mm -hmm. do have, you know, I invested in everything, um, you know, from the video to the artwork to the miniatures and stuff like that. And so it looked super professional, but if you haven't really created anything and you're not really known in the industry, it is much more difficult to get in front of uh, some of the big time reviewers. Uh, you know, I never heard back from heavy, I think it's heavy cardboard, um, mm -hmm. you know, who would be a great person to talk about Ignite and, you know, to take a look at it. Um, but he just, he doesn't know me, you know, I'm not on the scene enough for him to take a look at it yet. And that's totally fine. And hopefully I will be, you know, in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, so then you just go and you find the ones that will, you know, take you on. Man versus Meeple was super nice uh, in their communications with me. And, you know, even going with some of the less known uh, reviewers who still do an excellent job, but aren't necessarily, you know, the front runners for some of the giant campaigns, uh, you know, getting in with them uh, is always a great place to be. And, you know, you have to hit so many reviewers uh, of your game or previewers, I think, in order to be taken seriously. So, yeah, you definitely have to take a little bit more time finding people who will take you seriously when you're at the beginning. Yeah, and with the, I mean, with the audience kind of side of things. Yeah. Um, I mean, was it like kind of, a, again, kind of approaching it from a, a kind of almost like a cold start and saying, hey, we're going to do a big <laughs> miniatures game and give me 100 grand and, you know, again, um, Darren? Yeah, so from the audience side, uh, we hit conventions really hard. Uh Hmm. We actually unveiled Ignite the first time at Gen Con, uh, the 50th anniversary, which let me tell you, that was absolutely mind blowing to walk into that as your first convention ever. Um, but we had so many people who went through a playtest. Uh, we were in the playtest hall um, who just were absolutely in love with the system. I've still got emails. Um, I've got some good friends actually at this point. Uh, who have come back to play again at other Gen Cons that we go to. 
um, and see it at other conventions and things like that. Um, and really you just have to bring enough of a polished thing that they can see your vision for it without having to look too hard past, uh, you know, paper cutouts and, you know, Sharpie marker and stuff like that. Um, but if you have, you know, actual cardboard cards and you have a board that doesn't look like you, uh, you know, created it from scrap paper from Target, uh, which is a fine stage to be at, but that's not where I want to be prototyping at when I'm grabbing email addresses. And so we went to as many conventions as we could um, over two years and just had people play it, had um, me at a booth, you know, asking every person that walked by, hey, are you interested in a battling deck builder? And some people will, you know, not give you the type of time of day. And some people are like, oh, that sounds super interesting and come over and just everyone you can tell them about it and try and get an email address. Well, um, what made you kind of then decide miniatures? Was it because if you put miniatures on anything, it funds ridiculously high? I mean, that must have had an influence on the overall cost yeah. of the campaign. So was that a kind of a business decision you had to make? Well, if we if we just do standees, we could probably make this game for, we could probably set a funding goal of 50 grand, whereas setting with miniatures, we're having to go kind of that level to make sure that we cover off kind of all the costs. Yeah, so there definitely is a trend on Kickstarter, whether you know you like it or not, that if it's got miniatures in it, it's going to usually fund better. Um, we mm -hmm. thought about doing standees, but we didn't think the standees, because we really wanted the daggers in the back system. So when you take the yeah. in Ignite, you actually insert a dagger into the back of the miniature. Um, it's just super elegant. It's super like visceral in the moment where you're like, yeah, like stick it in there and like, <laughs> Super, you do that? Super, no, no, do, do that noise again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we really wanted that. And we thought about doing something like that with the cardboard standees. But after talking with people, if people really liked the game, you could wear out yeah. your standees and your daggers pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And we didn't want people to be, you know, out of luck because they loved the game so much that they wore the pieces out. Um, and so I also just really love like Blood Rage. And I think I love it that much more because it does have miniatures. Um, yeah. Maybe that makes me a super shallow uh, board game player. Who knows? You can tell me later I'm, in private. But, I'm uh, not a type of person to judge <laughs> people like this. You know, I'm not, I'm not, not going to say that. I know that um, for some people, the miniature side of things is, a, is an important thing. And it adds that extra little bit of... It adds that it just adds that little extra bit that kind of pushes them across the finish line. I know when you do get games where it doesn't appear as much, like say Gloomhaven, but then I reckon if they put everything as miniatures in Gloomhaven, you'd need to actually have a Gloomhaven box the size of the house, and secondly, yeah. it'd be three hundred dollars for the game. <laughs> so you'd be looking at kind of. But then Kingdom Death Monster does that, so again, it's kind of like it's kind of like horses for horses for courses. Um, yeah. Worry. Were you quietly confident when you launched the campaign? I mean, you've got some, in terms of people talking about it, you had some big, you know, you had some big names at the time. You got like Vaughn Reynolds, Jeremy Howard. Um, you had Lance, the Undead Viking, talking, you know, talking about it. Um, Michael Wright, you know, you've got a lot of kind of, covering kind of like a lot of names kind of talking about it so were, were you did you set yourself expectations to say okay if i reach if i reach if we reach x amount within the first 48 hours we know we kind of have a we kind of have a chance here um we were pretty confident that we would be able to hit the 100,000 mark which was our goal which mm. again like the reason that's sort of, I don't know. I don't know if I went back, if I would change my goal to make it less because people love seeing the, you know, 1900 times, you know, percent funded or whatever, you know, those sort of things. Um, but really we needed a hundred thousand in order to produce the game. And we didn't want to be one of those companies that we hit our goal of 20,000 or something like that. And then we don't get past it. And then we have to cancel the campaign because you know, that just doesn't look right. That just doesn't seem right to us. And so we asked for what we legitimately needed in order to fund. 
And we were pretty sure we would hit that 100,000, but we had no idea if that was going to be on day, you know, 25 or if that would be mm-hmm. day, you know, one and a half, like it actually ended up being, which was awesome. Yeah. And interestingly enough, one of Kickstarter's latest guidelines is to say, um, oi, don't be setting yourself a low target so you can say you've funded within the first couple of days. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of like an interesting take that they're actually now saying to people that we might have to have a word with you if you obviously have a huge campaign and you're setting yourself a low target just to get yourself funded. And I think that was because earlier this year there was certainly um, quite a few campaigns who funded in terms of, you know, they funded, but then they were cancelled kind of like, um, they were cancelled as projects because, you know, the 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 kind of the the announcement kind of came out to say, well, we're not, we don't look like we're going to be trending to hit what we'd like to hit, and it made you wonder, right? So, have you set yourself a funding goal that was far too low, and if you stay at that funding goal, you're going to be in a lot of financial kind of like a lot of financial trouble. Um, so, you know, but again. You know, you hit you, you're one of these. You kind of went against the grain again because you kind of went, well, we need this money, so we're going to ask for this money, and we're kind of going to go ahead. And obviously, it helped you kind of um, get the money. What was the mood like in camp when you hit that funding? Oh my goodness! When you crossed that line, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you must. It was it, it was just ecstatic, and I mean, the night before, I remember dreaming about like just like 200 dreams throughout the night like mini dreams and one of them we hit like three bajillion dollars and then one of them we you know didn't even hit ten thousand dollars and i wasn't sure what i was even going to do with ignite you know now that it didn't like launch and you know just back and forth like just the craziest of dreams um you know but then to wake up the next morning and almost be there and then by mid-afternoon to hit it was just ecstatic and i had you know personal friends texting me throughout the day and like you know they're all looking at like trending charts and stuff like that like they're gonna hit like three million dollars which obviously everyone knows that those trending charts are aren't accurate until you know you hit a certain point in them um yeah but i mean at the same time there must have been part of you that had that kind of you know gentle kind of daydream (laughs) with kind of like you know, gentle kind of saxophone music kind of yeah. playing in the background that you're kind of sitting there going, yeah, what happens if it did, though? What happens if it did hit three million? <laughs> what would you do if it hit three million? And it's like, that kind of dream kind of thing going on. Um, what, I mean, one of the things that people talk about in terms of when their Kickstarters take take off really, really well, and I'm talking about... Frank West with the City of Kings, and I'm talking about um, Orange Nebula and the wonderful Mark Neidlinger um, talking about vindication, is that the community comes from nowhere and they become almost like your little band of champions kind of answering questions and fighting the good fight for you and generally kind of almost looking out for the campaign for you as well. Did you find that you that you got that? Was there people that you are kind of currently looking through the list of backers and just saying, you guys deserve like a second copy of the game for the amount of support that you gave us? Oh, 100%. Like, I mean, I, I can't even... There was, I'll just give you an example. There was a guy that I think he ran Ignite Tabletop Simulator Sessions for 36 hours straight. I think I have that number right. And literally he changed his name to, you know, name and then in parentheses, the tireless gamer. Because in our campaign, it became like the end thing to change your name to like, if you helped us get past like a stretch goal, you added the stretch goal, like bringer of, you know, the cyclone or, you know, things like that, which was just fun. Um, Yeah, bringer of the avalanche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, people are jumping in and just answering the questions that have been answered, you know, 600 times, but you have to, you know, scroll through the comments to be able to find them. And we had, I know that people talk about like how you do a Kickstarter campaign 
and you get like all of these trolls and stuff like that. And I mean, I've seen a YouTube comment section before, so I know that they're out there sort of thing. And so I had like steeled myself inwardly of like, all right, if the trolls come, like you'll mm -hmm. be okay sort of thing. And we had the most uplifting, like nicest, like not a harsh word spoken campaign. I think that has ever happened. Like it was so beautiful and it was just, I think a testament to the people that were backing it and like the super, the super backers that were, you know, really excited about it. And just like everyone just kept everything super positive. And when we didn't have an answer to a question, we, you know, said as much and we tried to be super transparent and said, Hey, here's our plan, but we don't have, you know, a definite step for this yet. And just dif different things like that. Um, but yeah, the backers were just so amazing in, um, how they interacted with each other, how they interacted with us, um, and just wanting to see this thing come to life uh, almost as much as we did. But I mean, I think one of the things that you did very well was the communication. I mean, I've seen, I think, because I see a lot of Kickstarters. I mean, I, 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 I hate to think the number of kicks. I have a super backer, but I'm getting the kind of the, the kind of the laminated version next, so I'll be, <laughs> you know, super shiny backer. But one of the things that breaks my heart is when I see kind of like a, a kind of a campaign where the comments aren't there, but also the updates aren't there. There's not an awful lot of levels of interactivity. Whereas on all, all the successful campaigns, and it's not just updating because you're hitting stretch goals, it's updating because you're trying to keep the kind of the, the communication going and the, the, you know, the community going as well is that you're constantly kind of telling people, you know, this is what's happening. This is what we're up to. This is what our thoughts come in, you know, dive in kind of little reminders, just little kind of sideways thoughts that you're having and stuff like that, you know, which is, you know, which is always kind of, kind of interesting. And I think sometimes the community, sometimes the community will find you. And I think, you know, the building up of the community isn't kind of like the marketing before. It's like you're always continually trying to build up the community all the way through. So I see this with a lot of, you know, these campaigns. You can see in yours that you're just basically, it's like every day, it's like I'm surprised you actually ever got any work done huh. at all, um, considering the number of times you were kind of like um, kind of backing. Um, in terms of then, obviously you go, you go double your funding level. Does that open up different thoughts and calculations in terms of well, we've got to deliver. There's you know, there's sixteen hundred and thirty-two people that are now expecting to see kind of something coming through their front door. Does that then generate a different kind of set of logistical calculations that you need to, you know, you need to make? Are you are you having? You're obviously having to have different different conversations with the manufacturer, different cons different um, conversations with like shipping companies and things like that. So does that then add on a whole additional pile of work that you didn't expect to happen as well? No, I actually, I feel like because if our initial goal had been 20,000 and then we hit 200,000, mm. I think that would have been, you know, one of those scrambling moments, but because we knew mm. we needed to hit the a hundred thousand to even be able to make this game possible. Um, mm you know, we already had a large, you know, manufacturer talking with them, you know, having quotes of different, you know, amounts and different things like that. You know, we knew, you know, this many boxes and this many cartons and this many pallets and things like that. Um, we had sort of all of that on the front end. And the nice thing about Kickstarter in the last couple of years is that they've, there have been companies that have come out that are able to scale along with you. So like Quartermaster Logistics, it doesn't matter if you're you know, a $20,000, you know, campaign or a $200,000 campaign, like they'll be able to, uh, you know, scale along with you for the most part. Uh, yeah. So it really wasn't too much of a jump. It was just allowed us to be able to add, you know, more exciting things. And, um, you know, we, one of the things that was great about our um, backers was them saying, hey, you guys haven't, fully thought this through yet 
Like, how are we going to be able to track how expensive a title card was? You know, what cost we bought it for? And so then because we hit the $200,000 mark, we were able to go, okay, like, instead of just like regular card stock sort of thing for this, let's just make these like pure cardboard, um, you know, so that they're, you know, more meaty and you can actually use like a sliding adjuster on it. Like, awesome. Like different things like that uh, were made possible because of the 200000 um, but I don't think it added, you know, a huge burden on us because we were already in those conversations beforehand. Are you, um, are you putting more pressure on yourself now that you, you've had a successful Kickstarter in terms of maintaining the financial side of things? Because I'm, you know, you, I'm right in saying that this is now what you do on a full-time basis. So does this put you in a situation where you're now thinking, well, I need to have another kind of successful Kickstarter or are you thinking distribution? I mean, are you thinking about getting, I mean, is, is Ignite, and this is, it, is Ignite a game that could be supported by retail? Because what I see from a lot of these kind of bigger games is, I mean, Gloomhaven, kind of as normal breaks all the exceptions is to say, you know, you get a copy of Gloomhaven, you're pretty much getting the copy of Gloomhaven that came with the Kickstarter campaign. However, if you get a copy of, say, Blood Rage, um, Rising Sun, the game that you're getting in retail is in some ways is vastly inferior to the game that you got in the Kickstarter campaign. So you are you in the position where you're saying, well, in order to keep this going, I've got to look at another bigger hit again? Otherwise, I'm looking at a day job kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not too worried from the financial portion of it, just because we mm. are a super small team. I'm the only you know full time employee of uh, this company. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So that that takes a lot of pressure off. Um, but you know, we definitely are thinking what are the next steps, and for uh, Ignite specifically you know, we want it to hit everyone's doors and we want everyone to see like, oh, this game is as awesome as I thought it was going to mm -hmm. be, which we 100% yeah. believe it is. Um, and, you know, the people who have played it on Tabletop Simulator and have really like enjoyed it, like they, they're 100% behind it as well. So we really want like the hype train to like fully pull into the station and then for yeah. us to do another Kickstarter and hopefully this car Kickstarter will allow us to do, uh, you know, some additional languages and different things like that. Um, you know, will Ignite end up in retail at some point? Maybe, um, but we're just yeah. not, that'll, that'll probably be, you know, in the future at some point when we're more well known and when Ignite has sort of cemented itself in board game culture, as opposed to um, just sort of a, you know, being seen as a one and done Kickstarter sort of thing, which I think it is you know, sort of perceived yeah. as that right now since it's our first game, which just comes from Yeah, the I mean you're you're the you're the shiny you're the shiny star and you know a part of uh this culture of kind of latest hotness. You know, you've done well, you've done six figures on Kickstarter, people will be wondering about what you're kinda gonna do gonna do next. Um in terms of growing the business forward, are you going to one of the things I see some of the businesses of your size doing is starting to publish kind of other people's games as well as developing your own game. Some some of them do, some of them don't. I mean, um, Frank West, City of Games, he's designing his own stuff. Um, whereas Alley Cat Games have been publishing, you know, games by, you know, David Turcy and, and things like that. So are, there, are those also thoughts that you're having about, well, how do we, you know, do we bring in other people's designs or do we continue to design our own stuff? Yeah. So right now I'm working on five different games essentially. Uh, right. And so I don't think there's any lack of, um, you know, board game ideas and, you know, things coming down the pipeline. If I met mm -hmm. someone at a convention who was like, Hey, I really want ginger snap gaming to publish this. And if it was a unique enough game that I thought it fit with our company, then I would totally be in talks with them, but we're not going to be actively pursuing that at this point. Um, okay. Just because we want to establish ourselves off of the games that I've developed at this point. 
And the thing that we really want to stand apart with Ginger Snap Gaming is like quality communication, but then also uniqueness of the games. We don't want our games to feel like another rehashed worker placement. You know, I'll probably, to be honest, I'll probably never produce a worker placement unless, you know, some sort of amazing, you know, idea hits me. Um, just because I feel like they've been done uh, pretty successfully. And I think there's been tons of different iterations of them. And I don't want to produce something that's only marginally different. I want to produce something that, you know, you just stop and you're like, oh, this is really cool and different from anything else on my shelf. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, one of the reasons that we're talking is um, the late pledges are open. I mean, was that um, when you reached the funding goal? Was that was that something you'd already considered if you'd reached the funding goal to have kind of late pledges, or was that something that was kind of brought in further down the line as you've seen, you know, the the kind of the popu the popularity? No, we always knew that we were going to do late pledges. Um, we actually really need mm-hmm. to promote that more because we can get you know some more hype on Facebook and stuff like that. But we'll probably you know push that out in. A more yeah. you know dedicated marketing approach but yeah we always knew that we were going to do late pledges just because if you don't it's sort of money left on the table um mm-hmm. and you know if you're using late pledges with your pledge manager that you're using for you know shipping and stuff like that and getting people's addresses and surveys then you know it's just sort of a no-brainer yeah i mean interestingly enough one of the pledge levels that you had said basically Here's one for you, one to kind of like give or sell to someone else. Was that, was, and you know, you had 32 people kind of taking you up on that. Was that kind of, is that you kind of like base it in the reality of the fact that, you know, whenever you see, as soon as you see kind of posts on Board Game Geek or Board Game Spotlight or the Board Game, you know, whatever, saying, yeah, I just got my, you know, super duper uh, Duncan Ducky pledge, you know, with extra minis coming through immediately on one of the selling boards. It's like <laughs> for, for sale. Yeah. Super duper Ducky Duncan, Duncan Ducky master pledge with all stretch goals kind of thing. We just like going, well, you know, there's there's people that are kind of interested in kind of flipping this. We might as well. We might as well just allow them to do it kind of officially. Yeah, that that pledge level was actually done super late. It was actually done after our Kickstarter had started. And we just had the idea. We're like, what if we just gave them, you know, 30 bucks off of what it would cost to buy two through the regular, you know, system and just say, hey, you know, you get two copies, do whatever you want with the second one. Because I think Kickstarters are known for, you know, you being able to offload it at, you know, a little bit of a price hike. And so some people expect that. So, um, oh, hello, Batman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Oh, yeah. 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 I've seen that. And I think it's, I think it's lessening. Like I, I sold all of the extras for Rising Sun to cover my cost of buying the whole thing. So I essentially kept the base game for free. But for Batman, um, I got it. And after watching some things, I'm like, this is not for our group. And I think I only sold it for like 10 or $20 more than it, it, I ended up, you know, picking it up from Kickstarter. So I think people yeah. are getting smarter about like, oh, I'm not actually, I think the secondary market is lesser so than it used to be. Um, but that's just a guess just- from my side. I think it depends on the base on the the cost of the base game. I think, for instance, if you're looking at say um, maybe Root as an example, where um, they just couldn't get the kind of the games out quick enough mm-hmm. to people, that the base game for Root was like sixty dollars, and and there was no sixty or seventy dollars. I think there was no way that Leader Games could have anticipated how popular the kind of the I guess there was a lot of kind of like by um, a lot of um, backers regret, and what I mean by that is not people that regretted backing the game. There's people that regretted not backing the game. Yeah, they didn't follow up with their pledge, and I think you know in that market people were quite happy to say, well, you know, they were selling them for like ninety, a hundred dollars in the kind of like the secondary market. I think when you're looking at Batman, 
it's crossing into that territory where it's like I'm spending. Yeah, you know, you have to look at the face. You have to say I'm spending three hundred and fifty dollars on cardboard here, and some nice figures. Um, you know, I think it's difficult to kind of get it across that line. And I think there was cases of. I think there was cases of people kind of listing their Batman for like fifty, a hundred dollars above, and folk were just swearing at them and just saying, "Don't, you know, you're just being an ass here." Yeah, you know, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that money for it. So it's kind of like it was just interesting to see the so the pledge. Um, for people who are looking to kind of go into the to pledge afterwards you've kind of got you've got like your 99 dollar kind of base game you've got then the 169 base game plus plus the freeze mm-hmm. which sounds quite uh sounds quite cold um and then you've got kind of like the all-in pledge for kind of like two two hundred dollars which is your 11 races your base game 1200 cards 140 tokens a dragon 15 power cards, dragon potion deck, 20 tokens, partridge in a pear tree, five gold <laughs> rings, four falling birds, three French hens, and 10 drummers drumming. Um, and you're still doing the one for you, one to sell kind of thing. So um, is this, I take it, did you get a reasonable number of kind of like, kind of dollar pledges kind of yeah. on it? Yeah, I mean, we... We still got a good number of dollar pledges of people, um, you know, just wanting to follow the campaign that didn't necessarily upgrade uh, to, you know, a higher pledge level. Um, We tried to, you know, yeah, we tried to mitigate that as much as we could. But yeah, we still ended up with a lot of dollar pledges. Um, So hopefully those people will, you know, late pledge when they have a little bit more money. Because like you said, we really did... (laughs) We really did launch at sort of a sucker of a time with a big Simon, you know, game coming in. I think when we looked, there was four million or multi-million dollar campaigns that were running at the same time as us. So we really did really screw up royally <laughs> as far <laughs> as uh, when we hit the market. But say la vie, there really, really wasn't any way to know beforehand. I don't think you can get around that nowadays. I think yeah. we've had multiple conversations over the past couple of years about you know, there is not a quiet time for putting a Kickstarter campaign out there. And the guys that do try and put out in the quiet time, they end up not funding because people just aren't looking at kind of spending kind of any money. I think kind of like um, Gen Con's one, Orange, you know, Origins is, a, you know, there's those certain types in the year where people are just not willing to kind of put their money down because they're wanting to keep it after they go to the con, which is which is kind of one of these, which is one of these things. Um, for people who have listened along and are saying, okay, if I was stuck in an elevator with Darren and, you know, and he was going to give me the quick kind of 60-second um, pitch about his um, board game and why I should consider rather than phoning the emergency services to help get me out the lift, I should maybe log into CrowdOx and consider dropping some cash in order to get myself a second, you know, a, a pledge. Um, what would you say to these people why they should be, you know, considering Ignite, jumping on the Ignite bandwagon? So if you like deck builders, but you want something with a more exciting end game and with more player interaction, Ignite is for you. If you think the idea of pushing someone into a giant pit of lava by using an ice wall sounds fun, uh, Ignite is for you. If you like tactical miniatures game, but don't want to spend three hours setting up, uh, you know, in a thousand point army, army, um, you know, the undead Viking will say Ignite is for you. Um, If you just want something that's super imaginative and creative and plays ridiculously different each game um you know whether it's your asymmetric race ability or the i think eight terrains different terrain types that we have um then ignite is for you if you love you know completely strategic games that have the smallest amount of luck that you can really get in a Mm -hmm. you know card game i think ignite is for you 
That is not how I would have put all of that if I had, you know, written it down. But that's essentially what Ignite is. It's a ton of fun battling friends and just getting, you know, hilarious situations and just laughing about it. And you totally missed out the stabby knives in the back. And the stabby knives in the back are awesome. Are absolutely awesome. That's kind of cool. So, yeah. So what we'll do is we'll, I mean, we will put a link to the pledge manager in the show notes so we've got notes to show but for people who want to follow you on the various social media places on the internet webs where do you exist on the internet webs darren um so ginger snap gaming has both a group and then ignite has Sorry, Ginger Snap Gaming has a page. Ignite has a group on Facebook. So you could find us at either place there. Uh, Ginger Snap Gaming is also on Twitter. Uh, we're not super active on there right now, um, but hoping to be more so. We're also on Instagram. Um, I personally am on Facebook. Uh, if you want to follow me personally, I'm not exactly sure why you necessarily would, but I'm pretty interesting, I guess. Um, but yeah, those are the main places. And then gingersnapgaming.com. If you sign up for our email, uh, email list, that's the best way to stay in touch with all the cool stuff that we're doing. What's with your icon? (laughs) Your logo. Have you not seen that before? I, yeah, yeah, I have, but like, I never seen it closed up. I I thought you were kind of doing this in joy. It's like pure anger. (laughs) You are are saying hell with this game. It's a ginger that's snapping. I mean... I suppose. (laughs) I guess. It looks like Pandemic. Are you saying you don't like Pandemic? I actually don't like Pandemic, but that is... I'm actually, you know, Matt Leacock. He's a personal friend of mine. He's not a personal friend of mine. But, you know, I'd like to stir things up. But, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was like, this is meant to be joyous gaming, but it's not. You're really, you know, I hate this game. <laughs> it's it's, it's good. more satirical than anything. I, I'm sure I'm sure that's a really good uh, defense that your lawyer will tell you to go with. Yep. Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to and Bless every one of you that follow us, wherever you follow us. You can find us on different places, worn out faces, worn out places. Across the internet webs, if you search for We Are Not Wizards, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on blog, which is we'renotwizards.blogspot.com, where we write previews and things like that. You can sideways glances and first thoughts and musings and ramblings of old people. You can find us on uh, our own website, which is we'renotwizards.com. You can find us on different various podcast catchers, which have got the word pod and the word cast in them, except for Spotify and Streaker or Speaker or something like that, apparently, that doesn't have it in either. You know, so that's amazing. If you like what you've listened to tonight, there's a couple of things you can do. You can tell somebody else that we exist because that's how we spread our spread our virus of podcasting tabletop stuff across the world um and you know tell people that you like tell people that you don't like you know because some people have to suffer or you can go to other podcast catchers such as the wonderful apple podcasts just for now before it changes itself and consider giving us a subscription or consider giving us a rating or a review if you are going to be giving us a rating or a review uh, don't give us 10 stars because um it makes me feel even more fabulous than I should, and my ego is big enough as it is, so you don't want to be doing that. Um, but on the other way as well, you know, don't give me one star because I don't want to cry. Um, but give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average and we're just a little bit average. But the person who has not been average tonight, and I don't want to anger him in case he um, snaps, <laughs> is, the rather, is the rather wonderful... Rather fantastic, Mr. Darren Terpstra. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome indeed. I can only wish you the very, very best of luck with um, with Ignite and, and everything else that you get involved in. There is only two more things to do. And the first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Darren? Nope. Absolutely not. There you go. Spoken like a true professional. 
If only there are other professionals that would listen to you and say the same thing, but you never know. And the second thing is to uh, say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Darren. Say goodbye, Darren. Adios, everyone. He's taken it a bit kind of continental there, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, uh, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And um, if you're fancy fighting other people with little stabby bits of plastic so you can stab in the back when you're damaging them and you want to have a deck building thing, which you can deck build so you can build your deck so you can fight other people with your little miniatures on your various different terrains, including lava, but don't stand in the lava because otherwise you'll get burned and you'll die. And check out Ignite. Until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.